first Saturday in June has arrived, just as it did 365 days ago. This particular day goes by the name June 4th, 2022, but it may also answer today 155. This particular episode of Charlottesville Community Engagement may be referred to as number 391, a fact whose significance is suspect. If this show were a mystery, I, Sean Tubbs, would be the suspect for host. On today's show, a third Democrat is seeking the nomination for the new 55th House of Delegates seat. The General Assembly takes the next step towards adoption of a Virginia budget for the next two fiscal years. The spring 22 COVID surge continues, and the University of Virginia's Land Use Committee reviews the $2.8 billion major capital plan, which includes a 1,000-space parking garage and 440 units of student housing at Darden. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, Livable Seaville wants you to know about an online presentation coming up on June 7th. The Community Climate Collaborative and Livable Seaville are presenting a talk on what they consider climate-smart zoning. Executive Director Susan Cruz and Director of Climate Policy Caetano de Campos Lopez will be the presenters. This is happening on Tuesday, June 7th from 5.30 p.m. to 6.30 p.m. Sign up for the Climate Smart Zoning event on Eventbrite. A third Democrat has filed paperwork with the Virginia Department of Elections to be a candidate in the new 55th House District in the next election cycle. That's according to the Virginia Public Access Project. Amy Lawfer is the current chair of the Albemarle County Democratic Committee and was twice elected to the Charlottesville School Board in 2011 and 2015. In 2017, Lawfer was one of two Democrats on the ballot for Charlottesville City Council and placed a close third behind independent Nakia Walker and Democrat Heather Hill. In 2019, Lawfer resigned from the school board when she moved to Albemarle County. Soon after, she ran in the 17th Virginia Senate District against Republican Bryce Reeves. Reeves won with 51.6% of the vote, with Lawfer receiving 48.1%. Lawfer joins Albemarle Supervisor Donna Price and emergency room nurse Kellen Squire in the nomination race, which could still take place this year pending a federal lawsuit. No new orders have been issued in the Goldman v. Brink case since May 5th. The incumbent, Republican Rob Bell, has not announced whether he will seek a new term in the new district, which now includes most of Albemarle County and parts of Nelson and Louisa counties. Both houses of the General Assembly have adopted the conference reports that represent compromises in the state budget. It's now up to Governor Glenn Youngkin to determine whether to sign the bills as presented or make further amendments. He has up until the end of the month to take action. Delegate Barry Knight, a Republican from the 81st District, served on the House Conference Committee for both HB 29 and HB 30, the bills that technically carried the budgets for the current biennium and for the next two years. It's been a long haul, but I believe the result is a fiscally sound, bipartisan budget we can all be proud of. Knight said a record growth in state revenue has enabled the General Assembly to invest in core government services. At the same time, the extraordinary revenue situation has enabled us to protect for the future by using one-time revenues to address long-lingering, one-time investment needs 
prepay upcoming commitments, fund capital projects with cash and not bonds, and remove the accountant gimmicks we used to balance our budget during the Great Recession. Those investments include $400 million for public school system capital projects already constructed, with each locality getting at least a million, as well as another $450 million for new school construction. Knight said that also includes a $750 million payment into the Virginia retirement system, as well as an additional $250 million for that purpose if the state hits a certain revenue target. Additional funds will go into the Rainy Day Fund to have that balance hit what Knight said was a record-sending $3.4 billion. There's another $2.5 billion from surpluses that will go to previously committed projects. In addition, the conference report reflects $4 billion in tax relief for Virginia's families, including an increase in a standard deduction from $4,500 to $8,000 for individuals, double that for joint filers, the full elimination of the state's sales tax on food. There's also to be a $250 tax rebate check for individuals and $500 checks for households. HB 29 passed the House of Delegates on a 93-2 vote, and then the Senate on a 35-1 vote. There was no comment about HB 29 in the House, but several Democrats had concerns about some of what was in HB 30. Delegate Dawn Adams, a Democrat from the 68th District, had three reasons why she voted no. But the first one was a lack of transparency during the conference process. I haven't seen this much lack of transparency in the process since I've been here. And there is a fair amount of uh, policy being written through the budget uh, that I think is really, really concerning and has not involved legislators, which is so important in making good laws. Delegate Danica Rome, a Democrat from the 13th District, said she was concerned that revenue cuts to transportation will take away dozens of millions that she said are required to maintain Virginia's crumbling system. Others were concerned about changes made to marijuana possession rules that were made in the budget. Others were concerned that there was not enough money being put toward affordable housing, with one delegate citing a 2020 study by the Joint Legislative Audit Review Committee, or JLARC. Here's Delegate Alfonso Lopez. We've got billions in surplus revenue. Now is the time for Virginia to be forward-thinking, to invest in housing. Housing trust fund dollars are the critical layers of debt and equity needed to develop quality, affordable housing. The vote on HB 30 was 88 to 7, with dissenters coming from both parties. Republican delegates Nick Freitas and Phil Scott joined Adams and four other Democrats in voting against HB 30. The Virginia Senate approved HB 30 on a 32-4 vote. After the votes, Delegate Terry Kilgore explained the next steps. The Speaker and the Lieutenant Governor ha have uh, three days to sign uh, an enrolled bill or get it to the Governor. The Governor then has seven days to act uh, on any amendments, and then uh, we would need to come back prior to July 1 to act on those amendments so that we can uh, make sure that we have a budget uh, for Virginians. On Friday, the Virginia Department of Health reported 4,057 new cases as detected through PCR tests, the highest one-day total in Virginia in several weeks, but consistent with a growing trend. 
The seven-day average is 2,841, though the actual number of cases is likely much higher due to the number of home tests. The Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association reports 87 patients in intensive care units across Virginia, with 30 COVID patients on ventilators. The proliferation of the second Omicron strain has led to many people contracting COVID for a second time. Dr. Kosti Safri is Director of Hospital Epidemiology for the University of Virginia Health System. We are seeing um, um, second infections occurring, particularly uh, in, in people that you know had infections in, in December and January and maybe late Fe- in early, Fe- early February. And now we're um, three months out from that. And because of the strain differences and that time lag, that time difference, we're seeing breakthrough infections. Dr. Sifri said at least some patients do have lingering symptoms associated with long COVID, such as fatigue and brain fog. This is still an active area of investigation. There is still much to be understood about long uh, about long COVID. Um, how um, you know what its pathophysiology is. You know, sort of what are the biologic mechanisms that lead to it. Um, um, that's still being um, a, an, an active area of, of of investigation, trying to understand that, and perhaps <clears throat> you know at some point better predict who may be more susceptible to it. Dr. Sifri said it can be expected that additional variants will emerge, but that the outlook is not bleak. What we're also seeing is that this, as this occurs, the relative proportion of people that um, are needing medical care that are coming into the hospital because of severe COVID, that are coming into our intensive care units, and importantly, the number or uh, proportion of people that are dying because of COVID, those are going down. However, Dr. Sifri said the public should be mindful of the potential for a more deadly strain to emerge. On Thursday, the White House announced that authorization for vaccines for children under the age of five may come sometime this month. The Blue Ridge Health District said in their weekly newsletter sent out on Friday that they would be ready to distribute and administer the vaccines when the time comes. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement. In today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out, this year, WTJU 91.1 FM turns 65. And to mark the occasion, there's a new micro-museum exhibition this summer. Radio Relics traces WTJU's storied history of broadcasting for our community. As part of the 65th anniversary celebrations, WTJU has curated photos, artifacts, and t-shirts. So many t-shirts, spanning more than six decades. The exhibition is free and will be open Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. through July 29th. The museum space is a renovated vintage camper parked behind WTJU Studios at 2244 Ivy Road in Charlottesville. WTJU's Radio Relics exhibition shows off some of the artifacts collected over the years, many contributed by former WTJU general manager Chuck Taylor. In fact, there's even a new initiative to raise money through the Chuck Taylor Fund for WTJU History. Contact general manager Nathan Moore to learn more or donate today. One more segment to go today. The Buildings and Grounds Committee of the University of Virginia's Board of Visitors met on Thursday and got an update on capital projects and the next master plan. Colette Sheehy is the Executive Vice President and Chief Operating Officer at UVA. 
So this is the time of year when we ask for approval of the newly revised uh, major capital plan. Uh, you'll recall that we reviewed it with you in March. The last major capital plan adopted last year was for $3.1 billion worth of projects, and several of those have been completed since then, such as the University Hospital expansion, an orthopedic center on Ivy Road, and the Student Health and Wellness Center on Brandon Avenue. We have a lot going on. 31% of the value of the entire capital program is, um, represents projects under construction, and we are going to have a very busy 24 months coming up. The landscaping and the infrastructure for the Emmett-Ivy Corridor should be completed by next spring. Renovations of Alderman Library and construction of the Contemplative Commons should be completed in the fall of 2023. The School of Data Science will follow on the heels in December of 23, and then the following spring, late spring, early summer, the Brandon Avenue Undergraduate Residence Hall. Sheehy said the next plan will include several design studies as well as eight new projects, four of which were not on the list in March. One of them would be for student housing at the Darden School of Business. They are proposing to build about 440 beds that would house two-thirds of their residential MBA students. It is something that the competitor schools, business schools, um, do. There is no cost estimate for that project yet, which would offer a range of options for students and their families. Sheehy said another new project is to construct a 1,000-space parking garage, but she did not elaborate on its location. A fact sheet, including in the committee's packet, states that the cost estimate is $54 million and would replace parking in the existing Emmett-Ivy parking garage that will be dedicated to uses such as the Future Hotel, the Karsh Institute of Democracy, and the School of Data Science. Here's something from that fact sheet. The current parking inventory displaced by the Ivy Corridor redevelopment must be met in a location that serves multiple constituencies and links effectively to transit. Other new projects are renovations to the physics building as well as Pin Hall. After that presentation, UVA architect Alice Rocher updated the committee on the creation of the 2030 Grounds Framework Plan, which updates a master plan adopted in 2008. The pandemic delayed the work slightly, and the end of this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement will delay my reporting on it. I'll pick that back up in a future edition, sound permitting. And that is the end of this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. For day 155, let's put 391 to bed with the end of this segment. I am Sean Tubbs, the host of this program, and I did want to say it is Saturday. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host of this program, and I want to thank Ting for continuing to match your initial Substack payments when you guys subscribe. There have been quite a few of you have done that so far this week, and I really thank you for that. Every penny that comes into Town Crier Productions is spent well as I try to figure out how to put this all together and to get it so that uh, this show comes out uh, as efficiently as I can. This is a work in progress, an experiment, and I hope that you are finding it worthwhile. And of course, if you are, please send it on to somebody else so that they can also uh, benefit from the information I try to get into these each and every time. The next installment will come out maybe Monday, maybe on Tuesday, still don't quite know. 
It's uh, going to be a week ahead before that. That will come out. And if you're listening to this, you also might know about the Government Glance, which is a new product I'm doing uh, that looks at the 5th District of Virginia and reports on the high-level stuff that's going on. So everything that includes, if you want to learn more about Campbell County, Lunenburg, the city of Lynchburg, Danville, Halifax County, those are the things that I'm going to write about for the Government Glance this week. And that'll be coming out. You can find that or write me if you're interested. Uh, and again, that's really it. Let's. Uh, I did say in that last one, one small note for the future. The sound on the Buildings and Grounds Committee was pretty poor, as you heard. And uh, I needed to do some tweaks to figure out how to bring you the rest of that presentation. That's why I said sound permitting. And uh, I am Sean Tubbs of Sound Mind and Sound Body, maybe. I don't know. But I do want to say thank you again and uh, have a great rest of the day and weekend. And I hope that all of the rest of the days of this year for you are beneficial and trouble-free. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.